You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS 4 Podcast Studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. I'm Dave Griffiths. We thank you so much for downloading and tuning in. Mike Chappell is here, as is Joe Hopkins on the board, making sure we Zoom together, as so many across the country are doing right now. Um, great show planned for you. We have this show, we have next week's show, and then the following week will be the NFL draft, assuming all things fall into place, as it appears to be right now. The NFL still plans to start the draft that Thursday. I believe it's April 23rd. So, um, But there is a little bit of a, uh, a new official announcement from the league, and that is, Mike, that it's going to be a virtual draft this year. Obviously, nothing in person. You can't do that. All the teams and player personnel, you're going to have to do things from your house, from your homestead. And uh, let's just hope that everybody has the uh, – the most recent updated uh, Spectrum or Comcast or whatever it is, log on, because you better be a reliable Wi-Fi there or else you might lose your pick. Yeah, can you imagine? I mean, we had the storms blow through here last night. My, my stepdaughter and my granddaughter still without power. I don't know how that's going to impact, you know, whether that screws up your Wi-Fi. But, I mean, they have to make some kind of contingencies. What happens if – uh, but but one thing that, that is that sort of when this was first floated out a few weeks ago is the idea, well, maybe they would have like locally Chris Ballard and Frank Reich and Ed Dodds and a couple of scouts could be in the same room, you know, separated and all that. But apparently it's uh, no, everybody's in their own bunker. It's it's in different locations. So it's uh, in it, it can be done. I mean, this is how probably they used to do it way back when, when they're in, in their own offices or whatever. But it, it's just so different because of what it had grown into. It had grown into this big festive gala fans and all this, and that's not what we're going to have now. So, but again, what happens if the glitch, what if, if you're on the clock and something happens and you want to make a trade and you can't get, the Vikings on the phone. So uh, I, I'm sure the league has taken this into account, but there's whenever you do things quickly and you've adjusted, there's always unintended consequences or, or things that you just don't, don't think of that pop up. I, I heard somebody talking about this this week. I, and for the life of me, I can't remember who it was, but um, and so I wish I could give them proper credit, but this is the type of thing that like, Maybe teams don't specifically prepare for, but teams with good logistics and good planning will be able to figure out a way to do this the best. Teams that are kind of more ramshackle and a bit more thrown together and kind of fly by the seat of our pants, maybe not that well organizationally structured, are going to be the ones that are struggling at this time. For the Colts, I think a lot of people here in town have a lot of faith in Chris Ballard and Frank Reich and the structure they have put together. It's not been the most lengthy structure obviously there's obviously teams across the country that have had certain big name guys in place for much longer so players are not players but everybody knows a little bit has a little bit more experience with one another but there are other teams that I mean maybe you're a first year head coach first year general manager you're thrown into this situation and don't have anything established right now for those teams it's going to be difficult for teams that have so much turnover year after year whether that's the Jaguars it's the the Browns teams like the Bengals uh, the Lions that have just uh, been near the bottom of the league in over and over and over again. Not to say they don't have good years here and there, but 
those are the teams that I'm looking out for saying, boy, like if they don't, if they're not on their P's and Q's, this could be a very interesting, not in a good way draft for some of those teams. One thing I'm curious about is operationally, Chris Ballard always has the media come in after the draft and just a nice casual hour, hour and a half BS session. And he shows us his draft room and they've got all the boards on the walls and they've got like for the draft, they've got, we don't see the actual draft board, but he explains how they've got across and down and players and rounds and in positions on the wall to where they can just point to. Well, did, did, was he looking forward enough to where he was able to transfer some of that stuff to his, his man cave? Uh, does he, or, or, or is this something where it's going to be all sort of on his laptop and uh, how he has to adjust? So you have your ways of doing things. And now whether, and again, I think the culture certainly above ahead of the curve on how to do things, but at the same time, there are operational things about how you go about, okay, we're on the clock at 44. Who's available? Who's our best? And how have they charts? Yeah. Not because there won't be a wall, but were they able to transfer stuff from the draft room physically to where Chris Ballard and his main scouts will be you know, in their own locations? And Joe, you've been the one to, to organize, of course, all of our digital, uh, digital happenings here on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. So you know in a very small scale about the kind of logistics that goes into getting three people on the line, making sure we're all together and on the same page. So uh, imagine getting 32 NFL teams, everybody in, in one room all together, quote unquote, in one room, in one virtual room all together and trying to make this happen. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be, uh, I, I doubt everything is going to flow completely smoothly start to finish. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I don't know. The NFL certainly hasn't come out with anything yet, but it makes sense if maybe they added a little bit more time per pick just in case some things are slowed down. Um, really, from the fans' perspective, fans have no idea what they're going to see Thursday, April 23rd when they turn on their TV. Is it going to, Are we going to see the Zoom faces of the general managers and head coaches? Um, I saw something that said, 50-some players are going to virtually attend the draft. So I take it they're going to have cameras set up um, on, you know, some of the more well-known players in this draft class. So I think, you know, even beyond the logistics of actually going through and drafting players as a team, I think it's going to be interesting how the NFL is going to try and capitalize on, like Mike said, the fanfare, um, how built up the NFL draft has become. So for the first time in a long time, we really just have no idea what to expect. ESPN and the NFL Network producers, I'm sure, have spent uh, hours, probably in Zoom meetings themselves, uh, figuring out exactly what we can do with these, uh, these new tools. And of course, Joe, we, I think we can rest assured that, uh, that those organizations have a little bit more uh, logistical capacity than you in your, uh, your homestead and Broad Ripple. So hopefully we'll get, we'll get a good show. But nevertheless, Joe, you did put together yourself. You put together a two-round mock draft that is available online now, fox59.com and cbs4indy.com. So you really, obviously, a lot of mock drafts out there are just the first round. You go through there, and then after that, it's a bit more ho-hum, thrown together. But in order to get the uh, the Colts with pick 34 and pick 44 right now, before any potential trades, uh, you went through two full rounds going through exactly which team you think would take which player in which situation. So... Uh, from there, what did you um, what did you learn going through your mock draft? Whether it was about positions and in, in specifically strengths of this draft class, 
or and then, uh, of course, get to uh, what you think the Colts uh, have on their plate when it comes to their picks in round two. Yeah, you know, everyone talks about receiver in this draft class, and it, it is an excellent receiver class. But because of that, some of those, you know, receivers who might be pushed up in weaker drafts are going to be pushed down, and there's going to be quality players around in round two, round three, round four. Um, another thing I noticed is that offensive tackles are going to go early just because there's a big need there. I mean, there, there are a lot of teams picking – um, in the top 15, top 20 that really need offensive line help. Um, the Colts are not a team that needs offensive line help, so that will certainly benefit them that, um, you know, some of the areas of need will be pushed down the board because teams will be reaching for offensive linemen. Another thing I noticed that I didn't really anticipate quite as much is uh, a lot of teams kind of in the back half of round one are in need of cornerbacks and secondary help. Um, so I think, uh, you know, there's kind of Jeff Akuda at the top and then, um, the Florida cornerback CJ Henderson. And then after that, just a bunch of names, I think there's going to be a lot of cornerbacks going round one, five or six of them. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see who's there in round two for Indianapolis at pick 34. I had them taking Baylor wide receiver Denzel Mims. He's one of those size speed guys ran a four, three, I believe. In the 40 at the combine, six foot three, was productive in college. Um, so I think he's a player that the Colts would really be interested in. And then I know Mike's been hyping, uh, harping on a second round quarterback, but I went with uh, cornerback Trayvon Diggs. I picked 44 just because, you know, despite the signings of Rhodes and uh, Kerry, I still see cornerback as a huge need for the Colts. Maybe not immediately in 2020 because those veterans are decent band-aid signings but I mean a, a long-term starter opposite of Rocky Sin is still a need um, and, and I thought Trayvon Diggs was too good to pass up at pick 44 so um, I had the Colts passing on second round quarterbacks and going with wide receiver and corner. Well then do you, see, could, him take, yeah. do you see him taking a quarterback in three? I can see him, you know, depending on who's there. Um, you know, obviously I had in the first round the big four, Love, Herbert, Tua, and Burrow going round one. The only quarterback I had going around two was um, Jalen Hurts. Uh, I thought Pittsburgh might take a quarterback. So round three, you know, there could still be the Fromms from Georgia, Eason, um, quarterbacks like that in three. And I think as long as Colts and Colts fans are okay with this second to third round quarterback maybe being a long-term backup if it doesn't work out because the Colts have talked about how much they value having a good backup on the roster. Um, they might take a guy in round two, three, four and say, you know what, if you develop into a long-term starter, great. If you're going to be our long-term backup, that's fine too. We just need more youth at the position. We can get – of course, plenty more into draft preview content over the next couple weeks here on the Colts Blue Zone podcast for the NFL draft kicks off officially the evening of Thursday, April 23rd. Uh, one thing to point out this week, and that is, uh, of course, Colts owner Jim Ursay uh, lending his uh, great um, weight behind the, um, uh, the, the effort to, to combat this, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. As on Sunday, Jim Ursay tweeted that he had uh, obtained himself 10,000 of the N95 masks and is planning to donate them to a state health department. And um, 
today, Ursay tweeted that he and the Colts are donating 18,000 masks, so nearly double what he had said uh, on Saturday. And heck, 10,000 is, is a big chunk right there. And that comes after Ursay donated $1 million to Gleaners Food Bank, um, after the community itself reached a fundraising goal of $200,000. So uh, Lucas Oil Stadium is storing food for several major food banks itself right now. Uh, the Colts, uh, uh, Mike, as you have seen over the years with, with Jim Ursay, is, uh, is not, um, not separate from uh, the, the impacts of uh, something that is this uh, dr- dramatic on the community. He is uh, always one to, to reach out and to help out, and he's doing, uh, doing the same again right now. Yeah, you know, one thing, Jim Ursay, whenever you try to describe him, the words like unique, uh, a character, and he's got his quirks, and you know we all have demons, and he has his, and all that. But but he he, he is so immersed in the community. This is home, and whatever you see that he has done charity wise and donation that's sort of a tip of the iceberg uh because of how involved he and his family are have been will be and and this this is just not an earth thing i'm going to mention but i I see a couple owners and things put out that we're donating a hundred thousand or a million and people say well gosh you're a billionaire millionaire is that all you got is is that where, where whatever you give isn't enough in somebody's eyes so i I applaud anybody. It's Drew Brees or Peyton. I saw Peyton Manning uh, provided meals uh, to, to first responders and frontline people at, at Tulane. W- whatever they give, I mean, isn't that isn't that to be applauded? And I'd say, is that all you got? So, uh, and again, with Jim Mercy, whatever you see that he's done, he's done so much more. Whatever Arthur Blank has done in Atlanta, he's done so much. Robert Kraft, targeted for people to dislike. Uh, let's not say, can't you do more to applaud what they've done? Uh, cheers to you. I, I fully agree with that. And I'll, I'll, I'll touch on your other point about I kind of, kind of the, just the, the perception of Jim Ursay well beyond um, his, I guess, his, his community involvement, his involvement with the Colts. I think nationally it's really it's a lot easier to, to, to focus on the demons that you pointed out, that when Jim Ursay comes to mind, it's that, that, that you think of, because those are the stories that unfortunately make the national news. But here, here locally, ever, I, I think certainly everyone within the, the Colts media uh, room knows um, the, the, the great impact that, that Mr. Ursay has had upon the community. So like you said, Mike, it's certainly time to, to congratulate him for that and to thank him for that and not say, hey, is that all you got? I, 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 hate, I, I hate that mindset. It's, right. it, it's, it's just... Uh, it, it just annoys me. It just does. So. And it, it just shows you the the segment of, of the world we live in that there's not much you can do to satisfy him so you don't try. And I, and I know it doesn't keep him from doing things. So, again, to all the people giving and, and helping and all that, uh, major kudos to him. He's doing that from uh, from his own living room, wherever he is. He's on – Zoom meetings himself. I'm sure somebody taught Jim Mercy how to use Zoom so he could talk with uh, with Chris Ballard. What 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 do you think that uh, that meeting was like? Trying to teach Jim Mercy how to use Zoom. I would have loved to be a fly on the wall right there. I, tell you, I bet Chris Ballard is, is pretty 
killed on this right now. But yeah, th- oh, this sure. is this is like you like you said, and it's true. Is the teams that are that are more able to transition, and we talked to Frank Reich and uh, what's it weeks ago. They were sort of getting running on this in early March because they sort of thought this might be where they were going. So the teams, it, Chuck Pagano always used to, and a lot of coaches, they talk about sudden change. How do you deal with sudden change? Things you didn't anticipate. Teams that can, that can, that can adjust on the fly and not panic. Those are the ones that will come through this uh, in good stead. And I, I just, you have to trust the culture again, ahead of the curve. Also, uh, along the lines more of um, the, the giving back, the NFL and the uh, and charity uh, efforts during this time, the, uh, the league is turning this draft into a full three-day fundraiser as well, trying to help uh, multiple charities that are, um, that are battling this, uh, this COVID-19 crisis. So um, turning, turning a negative into a positive as much as you can dur- during this time. So along with the draft and teams building for the future, uh, we're going to have that going during the three days of the draft as well. And like I said, we'll do a whole lot more draft coverage over the, the next couple weeks, but uh, we will move on to kind of what I think is going to be the meat and potatoes of this podcast today, uh, that um, the, the NFL's all-decade team for the, uh, for the 2010s, the 20-teens, whatever you want to call it, is out. Uh, the only Colt on that all-decade team is Frank Gore. Of course, Frank spent plenty of time with the San Francisco 49ers as well kind of a combined effort between those two teams as well as Gore's last couple of years, uh, whether he was with Miami or Buffalo. Um, but, but like we've said on this podcast before, we're never talking about Frank Gore, he, he, the consistency that he has run with past the age of 30 is remarkable. He's always a threat to break, um, like just to get at least four or five yards. He seems like he's a fighter. It's hard to knock him down in the backfield and the consistency that he's had over the years to be able to con- churn out, solid solid seasons whether it's a thousand yards or more um has has been impressive so frank gore mike is the one cult that that finds himself on the nfl's all-decade team from this past decade he's third all-time rushing third i I mean and i went and looked i think he needs uh 1400 yards to surpass emmett smith i I, you want to say i'm not saying he can't do it that's that's the whole thing i was saying no It, it, it it is it's not as if Frank Gore is slowing down. I mean, he was, you know, the last five or six years, he's never been that breakaway guy. He's just that grinder. Uh, to, to, to get a record, he would have to play two more years. And I, do, I just don't know. I mean, at some point, you know, at some point, a running back just can't keep playing. Uh, but I that as much as he is a – the throwback player who simply plays because that th- this is his job. That's what he loves to do. He still loves it. But part of him looking at that, and he, if I do this and I do this, and he, he knows. I remember Edron James always used to keep track of uh, numbers. He knew right where he was. I'm sure, Frank Gore does too. But uh, the fact that he's number three, no one in their right mind, and I don't mean this to be a knock, consider Frank Gore the third best running back in NFL history. He's not. But uh, to play that position for that long, churn out the yards, 1,000 yards over and over, and, and play through injuries is pretty amazing. So since Gore is the only Colt on this NFL all-decade team, we thought we'd come up 
with a team of Colts, like Colts all 2010 or 20 team, whatever you want to call it, decade team. So we'll go down the list. Um, our Mike Chapel, you've put it up online, right? This is on, this is available I, I now. Yeah. Yesterday. Yeah. Okay. Posted, uh, posted online, box59.com, cbs4indy.com of the, uh, the Colts all decade team with starters and backups for each position. So we'll, we'll let Mike go through his team and Joe and I will chime in with our thoughts. We'll offer some, uh, some other ideas just, and I'm sure Mike will as well talk about some other guys he considered, but uh, maybe a little bit of discussion and uh, lively debate. Uh, we'll start off with quarterback, a first team member and your backup, a second teamer at QB for the Colts, 20 teens, all decade squad. Who you got? Well, it's Andrew Luck, obviously. Clearly. And then I, I went Peyton Manning, number two. He was here for only 2010, but the only other option is Jacoby Brissett. And for, for, for Peyton's only year here in, in, the, in the decade, it was 30-some touchdowns, 10-6, uh, and six, Pro Bowl. So it, it's kind of to see Peyton Manning as a second-team all-decade quarterback for the Colts, but it works. And, again, what I mentioned about Andrew Luck is – it, it, you always wonder what might have been. Where might have taken this franchise in his career injuries not taking their time? Yes. Always what might have been. Sorry, Mike, I think you broke up a little bit there, but we're going to keep on going. I did hear what you kind of had to say. You said it's uh, just with, – with luck, you, we were, you were talking about uh, just what, what might have been. What might have been. And we'll never know, but – I think it was five, four playoffs in six years and AFC title game. So, you know, we'll never know, but it was fun while it lasted. You can also throw in at least to the consideration Matt Hasselbeck in there because there were years that he had to come in and win some games with Andrew Luck out or come in and fill in to uh, needed when the Colts needed wins and he went out there and got them. I think of the flu game where uh, he'll never eat Chipotle again, just ask him. Right. So, uh, yeah, I, I want to at least throw Matt Hasselbeck yeah. If, you're, if you're adverse to putting Peyton Manning on this list for some reason because he's only with the team really for one year of this entire decade, then maybe Matt Hasselbeck Joe would be a consideration for people to throw on this list. Yeah, I thought Hasselbeck, I think ultimately if I was going to take out Peyton, I would put Brissett as the, uh, as the second team just because he played far more games than Hasselbeck. And, and you know, he, he's been solid. I think at very least you could say Brissett overall has been solid for the Colts. But I think Hasselbeck definitely has to be a consideration. Um, when I went through and made my own list, for quarterback at least, I had the same as Mike, Andrew Luck won. And then Peyton Manning did more in 2010 than, you know, Brissett has done or Hasselbeck that, has done that, in their whole time. That was my argument as well. Yeah. Now, it, it's, it's hard to pick anybody else besides those two when those are your two quarterbacks really, of the past decade, even if Manning is only there for one year. What about running back? We will move on. Does Frank Gore make your list number one for the Colts in the 2010s, the 20-teens? Frank Gore, one. Marlon Mack, two. And I tell you, I almost went with Donald Brown as my backup. Mm -hmm. I thought he was one of the more underappreciated players they've had here. He was a guy that they always tried to replace. And then in November, December, Donald Brown – was your running back. He let him in rushing three times. Frank Gore for his, his three years here, without question, without question, arguably uh, Ryan Grigson's free agent signing, I think. And Marlon Mack, again, the last three years, it, you were seeing the start of his career, but Gore Mack with a, with a almost a nod to Donald Brown. 
I had I had Donald Brown kind of along the side as well. I mean, when it comes to what what Marlon Mack has done, you get 900 yards last year. I mean, two years ago, thousand yards last year. Those are certainly numbers that that Brown never never reached himself. Right. But but like you said, he was he was a victim of coaches trying to give his job away and then him wrestling back by the end of the year. So if, if he had had that entire season, you think, man, maybe Donald Brown would have been more in consideration for this list. I also at least threw Ahmad Bradshaw in there for discussion. He was a great back. He was out of the backfield. He was a more dangerous guy that way. Um, and he was on, he, he, he made um, an impact on several different cold seasons uh, himself as well. But, but I think it's difficult to, to, to have any other combination than, than Frank Gore and Marlon Mack again. Joe, what were your thoughts at the running back position? You mean you guys didn't have Trent Richardson? Ah, oh, Joe. <laughs> Joe, no, Joe. I, 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 had a, I almost put Marlon Mack one just because I think what he, is a, what he is right now I think might be a little past what the Colts had in Gore. You know, they didn't have the best years of Frank Gore. But when you add up Gore's three years and compare them to Mac's three years that have happened, um, Gore just had the better numbers. He had more yards, um, less touchdowns. But then when you also consider the fact that the offensive line Mac has compared to what Gore was working with is just not even comparable. So Gore number one, Mac two, Brown three by default. I have far less fond memories of Donald Brown a first round pick that the coaches were trying to give his job away for the, for a reason. Um, but you know, when you look at the other running backs, I, I really don't know who else he would put there other than Donald Brown. It's hard for me to say good things about, about UConn guys as well. So it's a surprise <laughs> that I would mention something about Donald Brown there and we'll get to another UConn Brown guy uh, eventually, I think too, but we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, when we get to the defensive side of the ball next uh, wide receiver comes next. Um, and uh, I, I think we have two different uh, first teamers, two different second teamers. Uh, Mike, who do you have uh, on your wide receiver Colts all decade team from the 2010s? And, and, and this is going to show you what the, the decade of the 2010s was, where you've got some legitimate starters and the well, T.Y. Hilton and Reggie Wayne. You've got one guy who's established himself four-time pro bowler and Reggie. We saw the tail end of Reggie's career. And second team, Dante Moncrief and Pierre Garçon. And I'm telling you, I'm not tied to either one. Uh, but I, I have no question about Hilton and Reggie. But uh, the, the depth it, it exemplifies the issue these guys have had at the position over the last decade. I did my best to try to keep Dante Moncrief off this list. That's my point. <laughs> but I, I, couldn't, I couldn't make myself do it. Like I was like, could I could I try to put Chester Rogers? There? No, I I really can't do that. Could, could I try to put Austin Collin there? Now I, I don't know if I can really squeeze him in over Dante Moncrief. So like it's it's hard those four. So it's it's hard to choose anything else besides those four. There we are right now. Uh, Joe, did did you could you make yourself choose anyone else among that group? I could not. I I have the same four. I mean, it is kind of by default. Garçon, 2010 and 2011 combined, he had over 1,700 yards. And you got to consider in 2011, he was working with the Painters and Orvlowski's. And so that was a solid. And then he went on to Washington to have, you know, the best years of his career. Moncrief, 18 touchdowns, almost 2,000 yards in four seasons with the Colts. He did have the one year where he had like 
700 yards and almost 10 touchdowns, and you thought he was about to break out, and then it just kind of fizzled. Um, so, you know, the, the two good receivers at the top, and then after that, not a whole lot to work with, which is really the story of the Colts wide receiver group for the last 10 it, years. It's the story of Andrew Luck's time with the Colts, really. That's one of the stories. That, like, not getting you – have, you have Hilton, of course, but – Unlike the Peyton Manning years when you found Wayne and you found Harrison and you found Stokely, all these guys that could go in there and get, get receptions, get yards, get touchdowns, Mike, they were never able to do that for Andrew Luck during his time here. Yeah, the only one, other one that I thought about putting in was Austin Colley. Yeah. He had a couple of good years. But, yeah, that, again, this, as we mentioned, this, this and it's still to this day, is coming up with that sustained – at the position, and we'll see if they can get that solid moving forward. Of course, tight end, the other option to throw to uh, for the quarterback. So we have a first-team tight end and a second-team tight end here on this list. Mike, what did you have to say about the tight end position on your Colts all-decade team? Mr. Everyman, Jack Doyle, the first-teamer. And, uh, and then I, put, I went with Kobe Fleener. Uh, he, p- people sort of dismissed he was here, but for four years, pretty good. He had a pretty good career here. Uh, again, there, there wasn't a lot of other options. Dwayne Allen, injuries, you know, and Eric Ebron the one year. So, again, I thought there wasn't a whole lot of – it wasn't a deep group. But I feel very strong. And the note about Doyle, he goes from where claim in 2013 to Pro Bowl to two contracts worth more than $40 million. So life is good. To, it's, it's good to be Jack Doyle. Good to be the Cathedral grad himself. I also, by far and away, have Jack Doyle number one on this list because of everything you mentioned. I personally put Dwayne Allen over uh, Kobe Fleener. I, I understand why you have Fleener there. Um, I, I think if, if I had to pick one, I, I mean, for me, if, if I'm building a team, I think I would want Dwayne Allen over Kobe Fleener. Uh, of course, if he stays healthy, that would, that would, be, that would be helpful as well. But, but th- that was at least my choice. And the guys from earlier, of course, like um, you had Jacob Tammy on uh, a, a roster early in the decade. You had the tail end of Dallas Clark very early in the decade. Um, but but n- probably not enough, Joe, to, to, to crack an all-decade team over the tight ends that the Colts have had recently. No, probably not enough. I, you know, for the tiebreaker, I went with Fleener. Um, but uh, Allen's a good argument. Uh, if it wasn't for the injuries, he might have developed into, you know, the unquestioned better tight end. Um, but Fleener was just able to stay healthy and had a little more production, at least receiving, although Allen was a much better blocker. So, um, but yeah, I think I thought long and hard about Ebron just because of the fantastic year in 2018, but it, it was just one season and um, it was really just the touchdowns because the 700 yards, Kobe Fleener's done that himself. So um, just one year where a lot of touchdowns were funneled his way, I didn't think um, qualified him for the all-decade team. I don't think many Colts fans will argue keeping Eric Ebron off this list. So we are, we are all safe that way. I'm sure nobody in the Colts front office will argue us keeping Eric Ebron off this list. So we move on to uh, the protectors. The offensive line will start with tackle, Mike. We have two first team tackles, two second team tackles. Who you got on your all decade team? First team, uh, duh, Anthony Costanzo. Uh-huh. Right one, Braden Smith. Only two years. But again, it just shows you 
the lack, in my mind, of viable candidates. And then second team, I went Joe Wrights. It's, again, one of the more underappreciated cultures. And then I went with Ryan Deem as my second, second teamer. And he there the, the first two years of the decade and was on the downside of a really, really good career. But I, it, I just went with Wrights and Deem because I just couldn't find two better backup. I, I'm fine with Costanzo and Braden Smith, even though Braden Smith, we're talking two years. And that's the thing. Like, if you really want to put Ryan Deem on the first first team list, I'm like, okay, you can do that if you're if you just don't think Braden Smith deserves the spot. But it's it's right. kind of the same thing, but opposite situations with Correct. Ryan Deem and Braden Smith. It's Braden Smith his first two years of his career, probably on the up and up. Ryan Correct. Deem, like the last two years of his career on on the downslope. So. Um, so e- either way there, I have, I have no argument if you want to put either, either side there. And Joe Wrights, I think, is a perfectly fine uh, I- inclusion on this list, too. It-, it goes to show you, once again, just the lack of, of guys. Um, like, the fact that we can debate who the right tackle of the decade is among three or four different guys is, is, um, is telling that there's just so much turnover there and guys who got injured. You bring in Austin Howard the one offseason, and then he doesn't even make the roster if to, to, to be your right tackle. Or maybe he does, and then he's uh, – I, I forget exactly what happened with Howard. Maybe he, had he, had the he had the hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the only one that I, that I could argue that was but good was Gosser Chairless. Uh, he had a one really, really good year than his knee. But uh, I, I just I, – I felt semi-comfortable with, what, with these, these four guys. Joe, any other thoughts to tackle? No, I have the same four. I thought maybe Charlie Johnson. Uh, he played in 2010, but it was just one year. And, you know, right. he was solid for the Colts for a while, but I didn't think that one season really, you know, beat out Deem or, uh, or Wrights. Right. We, we go to the interior then. Offensive guard. I have a feeling that Quentin Nelson will be on this list, even though he's only been on the Colts for two years. But nevertheless, Mike, who you got? Yeah, Quentin Nelson, who, uh, when it comes to the, uh, all decade team of the of the of the next decade, he will be a first teamer barring injury. I've got Quentin Nelson and Jack Muir first team. Uh, he was pretty good until his knee gave out on him. And backups, I've got Joe Haig, Mister Versatile, and uh, Hugh Thornton. Uh, and again, it's it's tough coming up with backups because they went through so many guards every other year. But uh, Joe Haig and Hugh Thornton is my you know, the current, the current Colts offensive line, of course, Mark Lewinsky is the one guy that doesn't get uh, as much of the pub as even everyone else because he's not a guy who's a first or second round pick. And everybody else is first round, and then Braden Smith was that early second round guy. So Glinsky, even though he's solid there, I think, at that spot, um, it, it's, it's no reason to, to insert him uh, over, over Jack Newhart, you think, who, who had several good years there himself. Uh, before before the knees gave out on him, I could take I could take Glowinski as a backup. Mm-hmm. Maybe I could have done that, but no, I, Muir, Muir, Muir was solid until again his knees betrayed him. Uh, maybe I, I should have put Glowinski second team over Thornton, maybe. But uh, th- then we're just quibbling over things. Right. Yeah. Uh, no no sense getting too into the uh, second backup guard on an all-decade yeah. all, uh, all team for the Colts. Joe, any thoughts on this position? Yeah, I was just going to mention I did put Klewinski over Thornton, um, but my, my first teams was Nelson and Muhort. 
Um, Muhort was another, you know, less attention because he was a guard, but he was another one of those what could have been because this was a time when the Colts' offensive line was really struggling, and he was one of their few good players, and he could play tackle as well. He played tackle at Ohio State. So he had versatility. He was a good player when healthy. So um, I'm glad he got a little first-team recognition on our list here. I remember the time, and I think it was a preseason game. The Colts were playing the Bears, and they tried to move him out to tackle. It was the start. Of, it was in the start of one season, and it was not. It was not not the best performance from from Jack. Even though I do have fond memories overall of Jack Muhort on that offensive line. That one game where he, he moved to tackle was not a good one. So probably best in the NFL for him to have been a guard, and he was solid for the Colts as well until his knees gave out, like we said. So we move. Further inside the center, uh, the center position for the Colts, a notorious laundry list of players over the years for Andrew Luck. You could go down the list saying that, hey, each year, basically, he had a new center. Uh, finally, until near the end of the decade, you got your center for Andrew Luck, and then you lost Andrew Luck. But nevertheless, Mike, who do you have for your first team and second team centers for the past decade? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll start and end the decade. Hmm. Ryan Kelly, my first teamer, and Jeff Saturday. And, again, I don't mean this as a knock. Jeff Saturday by default. Yeah. Uh, he starts up the first two seasons of, of the decade, starts all 32 games. And I'm simply not going to put one of the other guys ahead of Jeff Saturday, the Samson Satili's and uh, McGlynn and, and Jonathan Harrison. So, again, uh, th- this is another position that when you get past Kelly, you see the problems they have had coming up with sustained uh, activity. So, uh, Ryan Kelly's going to, you know, he's going to be here another, you hope, six or seven years. And Jeff Saturday sort of ushered in the decade. So, there's your offense. Joe, any other thoughts on center? I doubt you have much. That seems pretty straightforward, cut and dry. No, but I had the same thing. Yep, there we go. So, we move on to defense. And uh, Colts defense certainly had playmakers over the years at some positions. Uh, other positions may be a little bit more barren, and we can get into that discussion. Uh, but we'll That's start with – right? yes, barren. We will start with yes. defensive end. Uh, your choices for the uh, Colts' first team, two defensive ends, and second team, two defensive ends of the 2010s. Uh, Robert Mathis and Dwight Freeney, because I don't want to tell them they didn't make it. Yeah. And uh, the second team, I've got Jabal Shared and Corey Redding. Uh, again, Mathis really sort of was hitting his stride, had, had the 19 and a half in the one year, and Freeney was at the tail. It was the last three years, I think it was, but he was still effective, had 12 sacks, 12 and a half sacks. And then again, Sherrod's always been a favorite of mine for what he's done, the, the, the blue collar stuff. And Corey Redding came over with Chuck from Baltimore, and for what they wanted done, he helped them. Uh, he, he was solid for three. So, uh, Matt and then Sheridan Redding. Here's where I differ slightly from you. I just had Robert Mathis as a linebacker because he was technically listed right. for so much as linebacker. So that, that's why, uh, if Robert Mathis is listening to this podcast, that is why right. I do not have him on my list. So, so not, be patient, Robert, we'll get to you and I will put you there eventually. But that is why I had, uh, Dwight Freeney from, Syracuse. Yeah, buddy. Syracuse University as uh, my first team defensive end. Along with Jabal Sheard, I had Corey Redding and Eric Walden behind him. Walden came in as, uh, is, I think, a 
better than people remember free agent signing. Right. He, he, he wasn't everything the Colts had hoped for, but he was still able to get, uh, I think, 23 sacks over four years. So um, that, that's certainly not superstar numbers, but it is, I think, is, like I said, I think it's better than some people remember what Eric Walden did. Joe, your thoughts on defensive end, what you have. I had the same as Mike with Redding and Sheard after Freeney and Mathis. I, I think it's kind of interesting on the defense. You know, they switched from the 4-3 to the 3-4 where we kind of slot players. Um, I think it's interesting you list Mathis as a linebacker, but you kept Walden as a, and Freeney as a defensive end, That's although they point. were technically outside linebackers. I think Freeney was technically still on the defensive line, but you're right about Walden. You, are you weren't right. dropping Freeney into the coverage. I, I'll, no. I'll give no. you that. Um, but, yeah, and then Corey Redding's another guy where, you know, if he was in a 4-3 scheme, he would have played D-tackle. Um, so it's just kind of interesting where we list these guys. But I had the same four as Mike. And so uh, I think the most interesting discussion is coming up next year. What, what, so defensive tackle. Um, let, let's do a rather deep dive to find out who we all like at defensive tackle for the Colts first team and second team I think all Colts fans will be grateful that perhaps the uh, the 2020s will be about a young man named DeForest Buckner but uh it, maybe it's a little bit more difficult to find your top performance at this position over the past decade for the Colts Mike I almost want to put DeForest Buckner as my first team or just <laughs> by default I'm telling you I th- this was the most difficult first team Fili Mawala and Henry Anderson Second team, Antonio Johnson and, and Ricky Jean-Francois. And I'm not, I'm not wed to any of these. I just, if you don't agree with it, give me four better ones. I went with my first team. I put Danico Autry on there just because his 2018 season was better than any defensive tackle season we've seen in the past 10 years. His nine sacks, I think he had three, three and a half last year too. So those 12 sacks right there are more than anyone else on my list here. Um, so I put Autry one Henry Anderson uh, as the second first teamer. He was a really solid player um, now with the jets. And then I had Ricky Jean Francois uh, second team and Philly Mwala second team. Mm-hmm. I, I too had Philly Mwala second team. I had Henry Anderson second team. My first team are guys that neither of you listed surprisingly. Well, maybe not surprisingly since we are, uh, uh, well, since one of them you already know, so that will not be a surprise. But the other one, I had Al Woods there okay. um, because I thought that he was incredibly valuable, especially as a run stopper when the Colts needed to stop the run. And he was by far their best run defender. And when he left the lineup due to injury once or twice, the, the run defense completely got obliterated. So I had Al Woods there for his contributions to the team for over a couple of years. And then my second first teamer, of course, as both of you know, as we talked about before, is once again Syracuse University's own Arthur Jones filling out my my front my front for the Colts defense all decade team. And that's I and, and we we talked off off air about why I couldn't put Art Jones on there. But, uh, <laughs> Art and I uh, painted the the town orange, so to speak, when we were both at Syracuse University together. So uh, this, so is I, why, this is why we were talking that they went out and invested so heavily into the Forest Buckner how. This has been, if you picked one of this team, one area that they've really done such a poor job of getting that guy, it's defensive tackle, it's a three technique. So uh, 
again, you always want to say, well, this is, he's, he's the best defensive tackle since, and you're going, you're going back into the, uh, the Corey Simon, Boogum, Boogum, McFarland, and even Tony Saragusa range, Ellis Johnson, because they've not done a good job at defensive tackle. Raheem type of player, but uh, we shall see. So we move on to linebacker. Now you guys already know that Robert Mathis is going to be in my first team since I pushed him to this position specifically, but we have three first team linebackers, just one in there for the second team. Don't need to dive too deep there. So Mike, who you got? This is where you, you and I, we, we go back and forth. I've got Darius Leonard and Jarrell Freeman. And my second team is Dequell Jackson and Eric Walden. Okay. I, I, and again, it's, it's, it's semantics on whether they're outside linebackers or ends, but uh, Darius Leonard in two years has done, has established himself. People need to remember, Darrell Freeman was Ryan Grigson's first free agent signing. Uh, and, and then Dequell Jackson was, was solid for, for when he was here from Cleveland. And Eric Walden, again, was one of the more uh, uh, productive free agent signings who, who more, and, and it's funny, you had him and Freeney as your, as your ends. They, or 93, they gave Eric Walden 93 at Freeney left, so no pressure there, buddy. Yeah, uh, you, you mentioned uh, Jarrell Freeman. I have him on my first team. If I had three first teamers, um, because and, and again, a, a throwback to what you said earlier that perhaps Frank Gore was Ryan Grigson's best free agent signing. If he was the best right. on offense, I would say Jarrell Freeman was probably the best on defense, right. bringing him back in from the CFL, and he was he was a tackling machine for the Colts for several years, and uh, was was. Uh, he, he got a couple turnovers uh, each year, too. He was always uh, seemingly around the ball. So um, I have Darius Leonard, Jarrell Freeman, and Robert Mathis, if you have three guys. If I had to bump one down, it would certainly be Jarrell to a second team. And then after that, like I was thinking for, for a fourth position, I was kind of hemming and hawing back and forth between Pat Anger and Anthony Walker Jr. Um, Pat had a couple good seasons right off the bat, was a Sporting News rookie uh, – not rookie of the year, Sporting News all-rookie team, rather. Um, that had the next good year in his second year. And after that, uh, went downhill with, uh, with everything that happened to him. But Anthony Walker, I think, is one of the more underrated players, not just on the Colts, but in the NFL right now. Um, we, we talked about last year when, the, when Madden came out with all the rankings, uh, how disrespectful I thought they were of Anthony Walker. They made him literally like the, the worst middle linebacker in the entire game. And that's, it's ridiculous that, that anyone who knows anything about football would put him in that position. So uh, I, I, I was kind of I, – I did not make a final decision. If you were gun to my head now, I'd say Anthony Walker. Um, I think he's recovered well from an injury problem he had in the first year or two with the Colts to really be strong and steady and reliable alongside Darius there. So, so that, that, that's my, my linebacking group. Joe, who you got there? Yeah, I went Darius Leonard, Jarrell Freeman, and Dequell Jackson for the first team for all the reasons you guys just said. Um, Jackson and Freeman were actually a pretty darn good linebacker duo that the Colts had for a few years there. And then I went with uh, Anthony Walker for my second team, or very underrated player. Uh, actually just changed his number to 54, so we'll have 54 and 53 Roman back there. Um, so, yeah, I think Colts linebacker core now is maybe the best we've seen in some time. I, I think Leonard star power puts it over what they had with Freeman and uh, Jackson. But Colts have actually had a pretty good group of linebackers over the year when you look back at it. Uh, then we go on to cornerback. And there have certainly been issues building an entire uh, solid corner roster of two or three guys 
in one specific year over the decade. Sometimes you've had one guy, maybe you've had two here or there, but getting three reliable guys to go out there has, has been has been challenging over the uh, the past decade in Colts football. But if we put them all together, we can manage ourselves a, a pretty decent cornerback group. So, Mike, who you got for your, your cornerback squad, first team, second team? My, my, my two starters, I got Vontae Davis. I got Gerard Powers. I've always had a spot for Gerard Powers. Mm-hmm. And then second team, Darius Butler and Kenny Moore. Yep. Because, uh, I, I, again, it just they, – they, they've – They've whiffed on some people they needed to hit on, but I, I, I feel pretty comfortable with these four. I, I, I would agree. Um, I, had, I had Vontae and Kenny, and then Butler and Power as well. Um, and trying to find that last one, you really did have to dive back to, back to Power. There were guys over the year, whether it was right. uh, Greg Toller, Patrick Robinson, they brought in, and then, of course, guys they drafted like a uh, like Deshaun Smith, the guy that everybody forgets, Deshaun Smith, because he barely played at all for the Colts. I know Joe's shaking his head over here on our Zoom meeting. Here. He never played for the Colts. Forget. Exactly. And, Third uh, round pick. And Quisty Wilson, the second round pick, that, that can, can't really see the field all too much. So those are my guys. And I once again, like I said earlier, would have to say something nice about a UConn dude. I have Darius Butler in there as well, who, uh, who broke my heart uh when I was back at Syracuse and he was at UConn and, and doing damage to the orange secondary like everybody else in the country was at that time so um that, that that's our cornerback squad uh, you have anything else to add there Joe no I did consider Pierre Desir um yeah, I think yeah I, he was in consideration for sure yeah I have um Davis Kenny Moore and Butler as my first team Powers as my second team I kind of had three first teamers because nowadays you play three cornerbacks a lot of the time um, almost put this year over Powers, but Powers was a solid player, but I had more and Butler over them just because they, they, they made a little more plays as far as sacks, interceptions, turnovers, those big plays. Butler and Moore, I, I think, are more of those type of players. All right, looking to the back end of the secondary, the safeties, first team, second team. Mike, what do you see? Antoine Bethay, Mike Adams, and then Malik Cook, others. And the one thing I, I hope, over the t- over time, that people will come to appreciate Antoine Bethea. I'm telling you, I-, I think he's a free agent now. This guy came in in 2006, and all he's done is played. He's produced. Uh, and then Mike Adams came in, and one little side note on Adams, where they, you know, the, uh, the Colts made such a great thing of Mike Adams. Mike Adams was an afterthought. They they, they brought him in in, in June before their veteran minicamp because everybody was hurt. They had, they had two or three safeties out, and he was alive by. And he turned into a pretty good player, a couple pro bowlers, uh, pro bowl season. So uh, Bethay Adams and then Hooker, who you hope is Merge, and Clayton Gathers, who's probably done as a Colt. I'd love to put Malik Hooker on the first team, but it's hard for me to put him over either of those two guys, Mike, the, the Bethay or Adams, because of what they were able to do. Um, I think Hooker is maybe the more physically gifted, uh, the most physically gifted of those three, but um, the, the other two were able to produce more on the field. And then for my last guy, if I added, I, I had a little special teams flavor in there. I threw Colt Anderson in there, even though Colts fans will probably remember Colt Anderson for all the wrong reasons with a certain fake punt that did not go very well. But uh, shout out to my guy from the University of Montana, Colt Anderson, in there for my last safety on this list. Uh, Joe, what do you think about safety? Yeah, this was kind of similar to like 
Gorn Marlon Mack in terms of Malik Hooker and Mike Adams. So initially, I wanted to put Hooker on the first team, but you know the production. Uh, I had to side with Adams. Two Pro Bowls, twelve interceptions in three years. I think Hooker over three years has seven. I want to say. Um, so I had to go with them. I, I thought about Laron Landry for a second, and then I looked. <laughs> and then I looked up. I went back and looked up what he did, and, and that quickly I went out the window. So um, I had Hooker and Gathers as my second team, Buffet and Mike Adams as my first team. And that's a good point about Buffet being a free agent. Uh, personally, I wouldn't mind if the Colts brought him in as a backup veteran safety. Hey, if if Chris Ballard says you need uh, veteran voices in the locker room, and some that was lacking the other year, I mean, Mike, you'd know better than anybody what uh, what Buffet brings to the to the locker room more so that even more so than he does to the field. Yeah, yeah. what a mentor for Willis. Point, well, yeah, at some point, you know, old is too old, too old. But he's been. They won't bring him back. But but again, I I just think when you look, he was he was a two hundred and seventh overall pick. And he's played all these years, seldom met. Uh, just one of my all-time favorites as far as being the guy who understood his role and, and fulfilled it every year. Kicker and punter are the last two spots on this list. Mike, I don't think there's going to be a lot of debate on who gets the, uh, the call for first team. No, I got Vinny and McAfee. And there, there's backups. I mean, Rigo would be, with, with no disrespect, is well beyond be behind Mac, if it, uh, yeah, Vinatieri for, for for the decade was just – this last year was pretty darn good. And McAfee, when he left at the end of 16, was arguably at the top of his trade. So uh, those were two the, – the two easiest. Luck, Terry, McAfee was a three. No argument from me, Joe. Nope, nothing to say here. There we go. So that, that's our uh, Colts all-decade team for a little bit more and more analysis, not just list. You can head online, fox59.com, cbs4indy.com, and see what Mike Chappell had to say about all these players that he put on the Colts all-decade team. Once again, you can also find Joe's two-round mock draft online. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier in the podcast about the two players that he had the Colts taking. Um, so you can either pod back and listen to it there or just head online, like I said, read up and uh, see who Colts, uh, who Joe has the Colts taking, at least right now. If there is anything that happens over the next uh, two weeks or so that would change minds, I'm sure Joe will update his draft. Mock draft 2.0, perhaps, for Joe Hopkins, but we have 1.0 online right now, and uh, we'll continue to build toward draft day and uh, the uh, Colts' future as they continue to build the future virtually. Uh, toward the 2020 season. So that is the Colts Blue Zone podcast for this week. You can follow us at Colts Blue Zone on Twitter. Uh, Stay up to date on Colts news throughout the week between podcasts. I am Dave Griffiths. That's at Dave G underscore sports. Mike Chappell is at mchappell51. And Joe Hopkins is at Roto Street Joe. Please subscribe. Get this delivered to your podcast listening device week after week. And we'll see you next time on the Colts Blue Zone podcast.